0: Pastor John, this is our final time to be together. Thank you so much for joining us over these weeks. Um, I've learned a lot sitting down and talking to you. It's just been a privilege. Years ago, you guys came up with seven core values that sort of drive the church. That This is what we value as a church. This is why we do what we do. And the last one that we're going to look at today is spiritual growth. And, and you wrote down on in in our website, we believe anything healthy will grow. And spiritual growth is a process demonstrated by intentionally offering avenues for learning, strategic service, accountability, connecting with other believers, assessment, and personal spiritual growth. You know, one of the things, Pastor, that's been most impressive to me about the people at Sagemont that you pastored for 53 years is that they're hungry to grow. You know, a lot of them are in the older generation. They're still hungry. I think that says a lot about the way that you pastored them. So why is spiritual growth so important in the life of a believer? And why is that a value here at Sagemont?
1: I think the temptations are greater than ever today to be like the world. And if we don't grow and be stronger, that he that's in us is greater and stronger than he that's in the world We teeter all the time because the devil's going about like a roaring lion, seeking who may may devour. And I think our churches that are doing the best are the ones under target the most.
0: Pastor, this is actually a very biblical concept. In the the Scripture in the New Testament, there's a verse that talks about that when each individual part of the body of Christ is growing and working properly, that that causes the whole body to grow. And so there's actually an individual responsibility of an individual believer sitting in the pew for them to be growing so that our whole body can grow. It's not just my responsibility or the worship leader's responsibility. So this is the last interview we have with you. Um, Last thing you're going to say, you're 70 what, Pastor? Nine. 79 years old. You're still growing in the Lord. What would you say to the person that's in their 70s, in their 80s at Sagemont, all the way to the person that's young, Give us one last word challenging us to the value of growing in the Lord.
1: I love that, that uh, in a song, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. Yeah. And if we, as we get older and older, get stronger and stronger in the Lord, and never want this generation to be like us when we were young, we want them to be up here when we were here, and then theirs up here, And if we can keep that flowing, and and I think that, I just don't have any doubt that Sagemont's gonna do that. But that has been the strongest thing that everybody needs to get involved.
0: Thank you so much. I know I speak for everybody at Sagemont. We love you. Uh, We love Kathy. Thank you for all that you've done. It's kind of hard to say thank you for all that you've done for us. And thank you for the legacy that you leave. And thank you so much for your time over the last few weeks being with us we love you. God bless you, Pastor. Thank you for being with us.
1: God bless you. Yes, sir. <laughs>
0: Amen. It's a lot of fun doing those with Pastor John. Hey, it's good to be with you today. Open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 15. Ephesians 4, 15. We'll be there in just a minute. It's good to be with you, 1115. Love you guys. Thanks for coming this morning. Um, We're going to be looking at our final core value today. We're finishing our core value series. We're going to be looking at the core value of spiritual growth today. Now, Sagemont has a mission statement. We've been looking at the core values. It also has a mission statement, which is we are living proof of a loving God to a watching world. We're living proof of a loving God to a watching world. That's what we're doing. Now, if you go look at the website, there's six aspects of what we think it looks like to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world, and that is we worship, we connect, we learn, we give, we serve, and we pray. There's six, six aspects. I thought about, after this series, doing another six-week series on those six aspects of being living proof, but as, as it turns out, we, uh, the, the final core value is spiritual growth, okay? And those six aspects of being living proof of loving God to a watching world is a pretty comprehensive picture of where we need to be growing as a church and as individuals throughout the church. And so um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take all six aspects of those uh, things today, worship, connect, give, serve, and pray. I'm going to preach them all in one sermon, I'm uh, going to have six points today. I'm going to go fast and furious, uh, looking at a lot of Scripture, so hang with me. Next week, Pastor Freeman's going to be back up. He's going to be teaching on Sabbath because he went on a sabbatical for a couple of months. He's going to be teaching us what he learned during that time and, and talking about how we need to be resting in our lives. I'm looking forward to that. And then October 11th, two weeks from now, I'm going to begin to preach verse by verse to the book of First 1 Peter that's what I'm going to be doing that's where we're going next now first peter was a letter written to the early church who is experiencing persecution and uh, peter writes them and says hey here's how you live and here's how you operate in a christian in a crooked and perverse world and so pretty applicable for us today as believers in the 20th 21st century so that's where we're going in a couple of weeks but today we're going to be looking at the final core value which is spiritual growth now, it's a broad topic, but we value spiritual growth because there is a very clear call on the life of every believer to be growing spiritually in our lives. As Pastor John said, and he said it quickly, but you probably caught it, he said, it, everything living grows. And that's true. If you're alive, to some extent, you're growing. And the same is true for a church. Guys, if, listen, if we're a healthy church, we're going to grow if we're an unhealthy church, it's not going to grow. But here's the question. What is the church? All right? What is the church? Is, is this church the, the building? Is it, is it? I'm asking. Is it the building? No, it's, it's us. You guys are smart. It's us, the people, you and I. You and I are the church. And one of the most um, distinguishing marks of a church that is healthy is not whether it has good preaching or good programs or good worship, but the greatest indicator of a healthy church, listen, is when individual people that make up that church are growing and becoming healthy in the Lord. Okay? Now, last week I talked about, told the story about how there's, I read the article that there's only been 20 churches in American history that once the founding pastor left, that the second pastor came in and exceeded the growth of the first. And I talked about how I'd like to be number 21, that we're wasting our time if we're not 21. And I had so many people last week come up to me and say, pastor, I'm in. Sign me up. I want to be 21 too. And then they'd ask me the question. They said, what do you want me to do? Like what, what can I do? How can I get in the fight and help us be 21? And here's the thing. Step one, If you want to help us be the church that God's called us to be, the very first thing you can do is get serious about what we're talking about today. The most tangible, practical thing you can personally do to be the church that God has called us to be is for you to make sure that you are, by the power of the Spirit, growing spiritually in your maturity as a person in the Lord. Okay? So let's take a minute here. Let's look at what the Bible has to say about spiritual growth. I want want you to remember two things today in regards to you being a person that grows spiritually. Number one, first thing I want you to remember is this. Is that spiritual growth is a command of Scripture. It's not a suggestion in the Bible. But spiritual growth, when you look at the Bible, it's actually a command of the Holy Word of God. So let's look at it together. Ephesians 4.15. Paul says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. In every way, into Him who is the head, into Christ. Paul tells us that you and I are to be growing spiritually in every way. He says, into Him, which is Christ, which means that you and I in every aspect of our life ought to be growing and looking more and more and more like Jesus Christ. His point is that the trajectory of our spiritual growth as a believer ought to be up and to the right. That there are going to be, if you're like me, there's going to be peaks and there's going to be valleys, but there ought to be an upward trajectory if you, in fact, are a believer. Okay? Now, if you're here today and you've been a Christian for quite some time and you're looking at your life and you say, Matt, honestly, over the last 10 years or so, I don't see any spiritual growth or very, very little. I think that's a problem. I think that that's something that you need to get to the bottom of. That you need to investigate because the Scripture's clear that we're going to grow if we're a believer. Which brings me to the second point, and that's that spiritual growth is a promise of the Scripture. Not only is it a command, but it's a promise. Scripture says it's going to happen. Uh, Just turn, Don't turn there. Just listen. Philippians 1.6. Paul says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul's saying today, you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. It was the Lord who began that good work in you. It was the Lord that began the work of the Spirit in you. And if he began the good work in you, then what he's saying is that he is going to complete it in your life until the day you see Jesus face to face. And so spiritual growth is an inevitable fact in the life of a believer. And guys, that is simultaneously one of the most comforting and one of the most haunting verses in the Bible to me. It's comforting because it means that if I'm in a place in my life where I'm not growing and I've gotten stagnant, that Jesus is going to be faithful to ensure that I continue to grow into him. He's going to complete the good work he began in me. And at the same time, that's a haunting verse, because it means that if I've gotten stagnant in my spiritual growth, he's not going to let me stay there. He's going to complete the good work that he began in me until the day of Christ. And so spiritual growth in the life of believer, it's a command and it is a promise. And so there's no such thing as a non-spiritually growing follower of Christ. And so what we're going to do here with the rest of the sermon today is we're going to get really, really practical I'm going to quickly run through these six areas of being living proof of loving God to a watching world. Um, I literally could take a sermon a week a piece on these, but we're going to do it all in one sermon. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to practically evaluate where you are in each one. I really would. As I, as I preach to them quickly, I want you to just think about where am I in these. I'd love for give yourself a great, you know, write it down if you want to put it on your phone. I'm an A here, I'm a D here, I'm an F here, I'm a C here, whatever. And so you have a tangible picture, a real-time picture of the areas in your life that you need to be growing in spiritually so that we can be the church that God has called us to be. And so let's look at the first one together, and it's worship. Worship. For you to be a person That is living proof of a loving God to a watching world. Step one is to be a worshiper. And when we hear the word worship, we immediately think about singing. But the reality is, is that worship is so much more than singing. Let me read this to you. Luke chapter four, verse eight. Jesus answered him and said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now that word worship right there, It's a Greek word, it's a Greek word proskuneho, and it does not mean to sing. Jesus said you're to worship the Lord and serve Him only, but that word does not mean to sing. It's a word, check this out, don't miss this, it's a word that means to adore. It means you love God, you adore Him, that there's an emotional connection, there's an emotional worship of Him. It actually comes from a a root Greek word that was always used to describe when a dog licked the hand of a master. I have, a, um, I have a, a, a dog named Remy. She's a golden retriever and she's dumb as a rock. And, but she's really pretty. And she comes and I'm sitting on the couch and she begins to lick my hand. That's her way of saying, Dad, I love you. Or Dad, feed me again. It's one of the two. But that's a picture of what Jesus is saying is that we are to adore the Lord. So that's where we need to be growing. Look at Psalms 95.6. Just hang with me. I'm going fast here the psalmist says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And that's a word for worship. It's translated in English as worship, but it's a Hebrew word. It says shaka. And here, worship carries the context of humbling yourself before the Lord. Humbling yourself, that's worship. Did you know that? It's not just singing. It's humbling yourself before the Lord. That's why the psalmist says the response is you bow down. You kneel before the Lord. It's an it's a outward display of an inner reality where you're saying, God, you're God, I'm not, and so I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to do whatever it is that you tell me to do. Okay, so it's humbling yourself before the Lord. Look at uh, Psalms 29.2. Psalm says, ascribe to the Lord the glory to His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. And very easily, that's also the same Hebrew word, but it has a different context, and it means to glorify. And so you're saying, God, you're first, you're tops. Don't look at me. Everybody, look at God. And so worship is you glorifying Him and exalting Him in your life. And so that's what you're evaluating today on how you're doing as a worshiper. You're asking the question, do I see a consistent... Pattern or growth of adoration of the Lord. We're not talking about how good you sing here. It's a consistent pattern. Am I I adoring God? Am I I consistently humbling myself and submitting myself, not what I want, but what God wants in my life? And then finally, do you see a consistent pattern of growth and you living to glorify Him? Not yourself. So give yourself a grade. How are you doing? All right? Here's the next one. Connection. Connection. That is the second area of spiritual growth that we're going for, is being connected to the body of Christ. And so everybody look at me real quick. Here's what we're evaluating when I say connected. I want you to think about how connected you are to the body of Christ, to other believers outside of Sunday morning worship. How connected are you? And here's why it's critical. Here's why connection to the body of Christ is critical outside of Sunday because guy's spiritual growth you may have never thought about this but spiritual growth was never meant to happen in isolation it wasn't you look at the whole of scripture it does happen on your own with you and the lord but the fullness of it was meant to happen in the context of one another let me read hebrews 10:24 to you and said let us consider how to stir up one another to love And to good works. And so the writer of Hebrew says, let's think about how in the world can we encourage one another to love and and to do good works. And look, verse 25, he says, not neglecting to meet together, which is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, so many of us, when we hear that verse, uh, you heard it taught that you're not supposed to skip church. (laughs) And that's part of it. Uh, The writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, Sunday morning church is important, but it's so much bigger than that. It's so much deeper and richer than that. The context of what he's saying, he's saying, guys, do not neglect living in biblical community with one another. Make sure that you have people in your life that are believers that are encouraging you and walking along beside you so that you love and you walk in good works in the Lord. And I would venture to guess, there's a lot of us. I know I've been there in my life, a few times. I, I, I would venture to guess there's a lot of us that you're coming to church, you're having quiet times, you're, you're doing all that stuff, but you're, you're not engaging in the community of believers in sort of this encouraging, growing in one another in the Lord. And that's, if that's you, it really is a bigger deal than you think. Why is being connected to the body of Christ in more than just Sunday morning worship? important, okay? And the answer is found in how the Scripture describes Satan. So how does Scripture describe Satan? What's he doing? What's Satan out there doing right now? 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us. Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. He says, your adversary, he calls him your enemy, you have an enemy. He says, your enemy, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's what Satan's doing. He's prowling around. He's looking for someone to devour. I watched a show on Discovery Channel a couple of years ago. There was a show about lions and lions eating animals and stuff. And this lion was going after this herd of elephants. And I don't remember how many elephants there were, but when the lion sort of presented himself, the herd circled up. It got in a 365-degree circle trunk to tail. It was a beautiful picture of the church. It was a circle, and their little ones were in the middle of it. And whichever way that, the, that that lion tried to get in, he would find himself face-to-face with one of those big old mama elephants, which would swing their trunk at him and knock him down and stuff. And as hard as he tried, he could not get in. But there was a break, and um, so there was a gap in one of the elephants, and as soon as there was a little gap this little elephant just took off from the herd. And what do you think he did? What do you think the lion did? They munched him. Like, I mean, as soon as he got away from the herd, as soon as he got away from the circle, as soon as he got away from the crowd, that lion... Forgot about the group, he forgot about the circle that he couldn't get into, and he immediately attacked the single one that had isolated himself from the group. Now I want to read this one more time. First Peter 5 8. Pay careful attention to who Satan is attacking. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone. Someone to devour. Make no mistake, Satan is real. I've seen him operate way too much to believe he's not. He is real. And he is on the prowl. His desire is to devour. And who he wants to devour is someone who has isolated themselves from the body of Christ. Do not miss this. I don't want you to miss this. I, I, I could teach a whole series on this. You see it in 1 Corinthians. You see it in 1 Peter. But there is a spiritual power that is available to you inside the context of the body of Christ that you do not have access to if you're doing Lone Ranger Christianity. And that's why we're saying, well, not me, but the scripture says, do not neglect the meeting together, which is the habit of some. Now, here's number three. It's how we're growing spiritually. We want to be, we want to learn that's number three. We want to learn. We want to, we want to get to the place in our spiritual growth where we are consistently growing and learning in theology and the scripture and the things of God. Now, I want to read a verse to you guys that's one of the most famous verses in the Bible. And, um, and as soon as, for those of you who've been around church for a while, as soon as I start reading it, you're going to recognize it. But there's a part of this verse that nobody pays much attention to. See if you can figure out what, where it is. Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Y'all recognize it? Great commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. In verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Every time i preach preached that, heard it taught, I always focus on the first part where he says, go. Go you therefore in all the nations, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I focus on, you know, Jesus is going to be with me always, even to the end of the age. And the, po- the, the thing that I never focus on is that part about teaching. There are two parts to the Great Commission. The first part of the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all the nations. Second part of the Great Commission is that we are to teach those disciples all that Jesus commanded us. Now, I want you to notice something about the Great Commission. Jesus never says, He doesn't say, hey, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations so that pastors can teach people all that I've commanded. He doesn't say that. The command to teach people, to, teach, to make disciples, and then teach the disciples all that Jesus commanded is just as much a part of the calling on your life as it is mine. And there's, it's, just, it's just never going to happen. If you don't get to the place where you're growing in this book. And so here's the question To what extent should you be growing? Like, how much? Pastor Matt, okay, supposed to be learning the word, learning theology. What's the extent that I should be growing? How much should I know this book? Well, some of y'all are going to think I'm crazy. Some of you are going to think I'm just being a preacher type of guy, but I really do believe that what I'm about to say is sort of the level I, would, I think we all need to get to. And our spiritual growth and our learning. And here's what, uh, here's what I'd like for you to get. I'd like for you, everybody in this church to get to the place that if we, if we put you in an airplane and we flew you over some crazy country that was an unreached people group. We put a, a a parachute on your back and pushed you out the door and screamed at you on the way down, we'll be back in a year. We dropped you off in an unreached people group somewhere in the world, kicked you out, that when we came back to pick you up a year later, that you would have been able to lead people to Jesus Christ and to form a fully functioning, biblically based church where people are being taught everything that Jesus told them. Some of y'all are like, man, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just a dad. I'm just a kid or whatever. I don't know that I can do that when you really look at the whole of the scripture, that is the standard. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations and teach them all that I commanded you. That's the call on our lives. Okay. So we're supposed to be learning in the Lord. How are you doing in that? How are you doing in that? Here's number four. It's a popular one. Most popular one. Here we go. Check it out. Giving. Yes. Love talking about giving. That's everybody's favorite subject. Um, but the subject of generosity, church, is one of those subjects that most of us don't think about when we think about our spiritual growth. When we think about spiritual growth, we think reading our Bible, prayer, um, you know, being holy, all this sort of stuff. We don't think about our money is an arena of spiritual growth in our lives. But here's the reality is that when you look at the whole of everything Jesus taught in his ministry, there's something that I've discovered that's fascinating. That when you look at, Jesus was on this planet for three years, so he, his, he no, he was on 33, he, he did his ministry for three years. And during his three-year ministry, if you look at everything he taught, If you you look at every word that came out of his mouth in that three-year ministry, did you know that 15% of what he talked about dealt directly with the issue of money? Did you know that? 15% of everything that came out of his mouth dealt with money. Did you know that that's a higher percentage than prayer? He talked more about prayer than he did money. I mean, he talked more about money than prayer. That's a higher percentage than faith. He talked more about money than he did faith. That's a higher percentage than heaven and hell combined. He talked more about money. Now, why? Why in the world did Jesus speak so often to you and me, to his followers, about the issue of money? And here's the answer. Because Jesus knew that how you spend your money and how you steward your money is a direct reflection of the spiritual condition of your heart. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. This is Jesus. And he says, for where your treasure is, the context of that, he is talking about finances. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So in wh- wherever your money's going, wherever your treasure is, your heart is going to be there. Your heart is going to follow after it. And that is fascinating to me. That when Jesus was talking about believers... And, and for us getting to the bottom of how we discover the spiritual condition of our hearts, when he's saying, here's how you get to the bottom of whether or not your heart and my heart really belongs to God, I want you to know that he never once talked about church attendance. He never said, hey, you know what, if, if you're really trying to get to the bottom of whether your heart honestly belongs to God, d- did you go to church three out of four Sundays in a month? He never said that. When, when he was gauging and calling us to gauge the condition of our heart, he never talked about how much theology that you and I know. He never said, "Hey, you need to know the ins and outs of dispensational versus amillennial eschatology." He never said, "Hey, you know, you need to know the nuances of um, uh, attractional versus discipleship-based ecclesiology." He never mentioned, hey, you've got to make sure that you know the difference between Reformed and Arminian soteriology. He never did anything like that. He never even talked about how much we pray. But Jesus, not me, but Jesus, said if you really want to know, if you really want to know if the heart of a man or woman belongs to God, look at their money. Look at their money. Not me. Jesus said that. He said, where their money is going, that is what owns their heart. And Guys, that's huge. One thing you guys will learn about me is that I care more about your soul. I care more about your hearts. I care more about your walks with Jesus than I do whether or not you like me. And so I'm going to say something difficult, guys. This is big. This is huge. This is massive. Because if the words of Jesus are true and they are, then what Jesus just said is where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And the implication of that is it's entirely possible for you to go to church, for you to go to iConnect classes, for you to do all these things, but your heart be far from God. Why? Because your money is far from God. And so one of the most tangible things you could ever do is give to the Lord first. I'm not talking about tithing We'll talk about that on another day sometime down the road. I'm just talking about taking a portion of whatever it is that God asked you to steward and has given you and say, God, first and foremost, before I do anything else, before I buy a Starbucks, before I pay the light bill, Lord, I'm just going to put it right there in the kingdom, even if it's small. Jesus, not me, Jesus said your heart's going to follow after it. And then when that happens, then all this other stuff we're talking about is going to happen a lot more easily. Number five, serving. Serving the Lord. There ought to be an upward and to the right trajectory in our service to God. Now, I shared with you guys a couple of weeks ago in one of the previous sermons that um, in the American church, 20% of the people do 80% of the work of the ministry. 20% of the people do 80% of the work of the ministry. And I think there's a lot of reasons for why that happens, why so many people don't serve, don't get in the fight don't engage in the body and the life of the church. But here's one of of the primary reasons I think that that is so prevalent in American church. I think there's so many folks that deep down inside, they go to church um, for selfish reasons. They go to church for what they can get out of it. Not for what they can give and serve the body of Christ. And, And honestly, I don't think all that's from some ugly place in our hearts. Jesus is amazing, and he serves us and provides for us so well, and we just get used to it, and we're like, well, we want more of that, but we forget to serve him. Jesus is amazing. Amen? Can I get an amen for that? Jesus is amazing. I was thinking about it. How cool would it be if Jesus was your roommate in college? Have you ever thought about that? How amazing would it have been? I had a psycho roommate in college. How cool would it have been if Jesus was your roommate in college, think about, I was thinking about this, I wrote some things down about how cool it would be, right? If Jesus was your roommate and you ran out of food, he could take the last two goldfish crackers and the five pieces of Wonder Bread and he could divide it, multiply it, and make a meal. If, if you were throwing a party and you ran out of Dr. Pepper, Jesus could turn Dr. Pepper or water into Dr. Pepper, amen? And like the good Dr. Pepper, like in the bottle, not in the can, if Jesus was your roommate and your dog died, he could raise your dog back to life. That's how amazing he is. If your cat died, he would walk outside with you and help you bury it. I mean, he's amazing. <laughs> Jesus is amazing. And he serves us in so many amazing ways, but we have a tendency to forget that one of the like, primary callings on our life is to serve him. Now, real quickly, I'm just going to do some just shotgun scripture here. Some shotgun reasons on why we serve. Why we ought to serve. Get in the fight. Number one, we're motivated to serve out of obedience. Deuteronomy 13, 4. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him. Keep His commandments and obey His voice. And you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. So it's just a command. We do it. Lord told us to. But it gets better. Number two, we're motivated to serve out of Gratitude. Uh, 1 Samuel 12, 24 says, only fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. Why? For consider what great things He has done for you. He stopped for two seconds and think about everything He's done for you. He says you serve. and You serve Him with all your heart. Number three, we're motivated to serve out of gladness. We don't do it begrudgingly. Psalms 100, verse 2. He says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. This is something we ought to be chomping at the bit to do. And number four, and it's the best one, we're motivated to serve because of forgiveness, not guilt. And you look at Isaiah chapter six, verse seven, the calling Isaiah. Isaiah has entered the presence of the Lord. He sees almighty God. He says, he, he sees that God is holy. And the first thing he does is he realizes his incredible sinfulness. He falls on his face and he says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people unclean lips. He realizes his sinfulness when he enters the presence of God. In the verse 7, it says, and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And so God takes his sin away from him. He's clean. Look at verse 8. Isaiah said, and then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah said, here am I, send me. When we realize that we have been forgiven, what in the world else can we do but serve? Charles Spurgeon said this, he was preaching on the calling of Isaiah. He said, the heir of heaven serves his Lord simply out of gratitude. Out of love for God, who chose him and gave so great a prize for his redemption, he desires to lay himself entirely to his master's service. The ch- listen to this, listen carefully. He said, "The child of God works not for life, but from life. He does not work to be saved. He works because He is saved. You don't serve the Lord to be saved? You serve the Lord because you are saved. He's cleansed you of your sin. You're going to heaven when you die. How else in the world can we respond but to serve Him? Last one. Do this quickly. Prayer. Prayer. This is the fuel that drives so much of it, but we don't pray as much as we should, do we? Every believer, with the exception of a handful in all my life, when I talk to them, they say, man, I wish I I prayed more. And you ask why, and it's like, well, it's just difficult. I don't have time. I'm, I get it. I'm there. I'm with you. Why is it so difficult to pray? And something hit me this week. I think, this is, I think there's a lot of reasons, but here's one of the reasons it's so difficult to pray and why we don't pray as much as we should. I think deep down inside, I, in places we would maybe have never thought about or ever admitted, I think a lot of us don't pray as much as we should because deep down inside, we don't think God will answer our prayers and you're like, I don't know if that's it, Matt, but think about this. Here's how, here's why I think that. If you knew God was going to answer every prayer you prayed and did it immediately, how often would you pray? You pray all the time. I'd be walking around, dear Lord, please do this in Jesus name. Amen. Right? Every day. If you knew immediately he was going to answer your prayer, you'd pray all the time. He doesn't do that. So I think a lot of us kind of give up or whatever, but I want to read a verse to you. Psalm 65 2. It has been an incredible comfort for me over the last couple of days since I read it. And since I heard this Scripture, I think I've prayed more in the last week than I have in a really, really long time in the course of a given week. It's Psalm 65.2. Listen to, uh, I think it's David. He's talking about God. He's describing God. In Psalm 65.2, he says, O you who hear prayer. David's describing God. And here's how he describes him. He said, you're the God that hears my prayer. That ought to blow you away. The scripture never promises us that he's going to answer your prayer. But what he does promise us is that he's going to hear them. Every single one of us. Does that not blow you away? That the God of all creation, the God of the universe, hears every prayer that comes out of your mouth. He's listening. He's listening. And just in light of that alone, how much more should we pray? I'll end with this. We, at the beginning of the message in Ephesians 4.15, um, I read it to you. I want to, read it. I want to read it to you one more time. Ephesians 4.15, it says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. Paul says, grow up in every way into the person of Jesus. Every day of your life. Look more and more like Jesus. But listen to me, I'm almost done. The stark reality of our life is that for every person in this room today, you're growing into something. I'm growing into something. The question is, what are you growing into? you're growing into a person that looks like Jesus? Or you're growing into something else? I think there are a lot of us today that are growing into a lot of things, but it's not Jesus. You know why we value spiritual growth here at Sagemont? It's a command. It's a promise. But church, what in the world is more worthy of us going into if it's not Jesus? He's the only thing. It's worthy of us saying, I am heading your direction no matter what. And so if we'll do that, if we'll be a people that grows into him, not only will God do amazing things through us in our time, but as Pastor John said, the longer you live, the sweeter he will become. I think the first step we need to take in being people that grow into him is to take a minute to remember the power that we have to grow spiritually, and that is available to us through the blood of His Son. Hopefully, you received one of these packets. We're going to do the Lord's Supper very quickly today. And as we do this, I want you to remember that the power that you have is not your power. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps and decide to go do this. But the power that you have is through the Holy Spirit of God, which is available to you because Jesus died for us on the cross. And it was on the night that he was betrayed that he took some bread. He he looked at his disciples and he took some bread and he picked it up and he broke it. And he held it up and he said, this is my body. That's my body. It's going to be broken for you. It's going to be broken for the forgiveness of sins. He said, so take it and eat it. And when you do, I want you to remember me. And so right now, before you eat, we're going to eat in just one second. I want you to eat that piece of bread. And as it goes into your mouth, I want you to remember the broken body of Christ that was broken for you so that we might have the Holy Spirit of God and be saved and spend eternity with him. So eat now of the bread. And he looked back at the disciples and he held up a cup. And he said, men, this is, he said, this cup is my blood. It's the blood of a new covenant and it's going to be poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. I'm going to shed my blood so that your sins can be completely forgiven. He said, take it and drink it. And often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And so drink now of the cup and remember the blood of Jesus that forgives all of your sin. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for your sacrifice that you made of the cross so that we can be people that can grow into you. There is none other that is worthy of our growing into than you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for any of the room that have never trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that have never had their sins forgiven by the blood of the new covenant. Lord, I pray that they would do that right now, that they just offer their lives to you. You'd make them a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to grow. Help us to be different. I pray we wouldn't easily walk away today without thinking about where we need to grow into you, who is is Christ Jesus. Lord, we love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name.